Good morning, everyone. Uh, happy feast day to all of you. The, our first reading talks about the wisdom of God and that it is different from humanity's wisdom, but that he sends it to us and tries to help us to understand, uh, understand his ways. Our second reading deals with slavery. Uh, the person they're talking about was a slave and he ran away from his master, Philemon, and ran to Paul. Paul baptizes him. He becomes a Christian as we know it. And Paul says, from, uh, which is very humbling the way Paul puts it, I didn't want to do anything against your will, but, and I wanted to keep him, but I'm going to send him back to you. And I ask that you accept him not as a slave, but as a brother now. Our gospel deals with some very difficult things. Jesus is talking about the cost of discipleship. He made no qualms about it. To be my disciple, to understand that to be a Christian is going to cost you. It is going to be heavy on you. Oh, but the prize, the prize will be so great. Eternal life. Friends, Jesus' injunction directed at us, at us, in the opening line from the gospel of needing to hate one's father and mother and about the cost of discipleship, the cost of carrying your cross in order to be his disciple has perplexed many people, caused them anxiety. And when Jesus is speaking, he is on his way to Jerusalem where he is going to be nailed to that cross. And my friends, uh, when Jesus... Um, I'm going to explain uh, what Jesus was talking about, how he speaks, and how our lack of wisdom about this <laughs> makes us confused and frustrated. When Jesus spoke about self-centered rich people who refused to follow him, the crowds cheered him on. Yeah, get him, Jesus. When Jesus criticized the Pharisees and called them hypocrites, and rightly so, the folks nodded their heads, that's right, Jesus, that's exactly what they are. When Jesus spoke out against the legalistic nitpicking of the scribes, folks were amazed that a rabbi of his time would speak like that. And when Jesus pointed the finger about evil, that it was over there is the evil, they were in agreement. But the gospel today tells us that Jesus stops and turns around and speaks to the would-be disciples, those who were following him. And now he points the finger at them. And what about you? Oh, that's the time to run. <laughs> you see what I'm getting at? You see, now it's changing. What about you? Are you ready to follow me? Are you ready to take up the cross of discipleship with its cost? My friends, when people take the gospel and read it, some folks like to think that uh, Jesus did not say these words, particularly about hating your mother and father, your wife, your children. Or, well, you know, um, mm, nope. We must accept that Jesus, in fact, said this. People say, well, Luke just put it in there. Uh, no, 
He didn't just put it in there. These are the words of Jesus. So let's take a look at it. If we are to take these words literally, literally Jesus' opening statement would contradict everything that he has otherwise taught and that he believed, and he wanted his disciples to believe. My friends, what we see here is the difficulty of trying to interpret every single word and every pericope. Pericope is line from the gospel, trying to interpret it literally without the help of the rest of the scriptures. This is something that Christian fundamentalists do, and it is difficult. You can't. You're not supposed to do it that way. You cannot at once love everyone, including your enemies, as Jesus said, and at the same time hate your parents. Right? Come on, I'm not, I'm not talking to idiots. <laughs> you know this. Jesus pressed his followers to love others and not to hate. So why is he saying it here? It strongly suggests Jesus is employing a form of speech, Semitic speech. I will show you where else in the scriptures you will find this. Jesus is telling you he's exaggerating a point to make it clear to you about something. What is he making the point? The point is that you must love God. You must love God. You must love God. I can't say it enough. People don't even like that. We don't like when he says must. Too bad. You must love God above all other people and all things. This is what he's saying. See, he got your attention when he said you must hate your, if you don't hate your mother and father and your wife and your children. You see, he got your attention. The only problem is you got frustrated. You didn't understand. Now I'm pointing out to you how you are to understand this. Everything dear to you must be second to God. Everything. Jesus is reminding us in the most forceful possible way that God must always come first, that he must have priority in your life. This type of Semitic verbiage is furthermore confirmed by the scriptures of the Hebrew language. Jesus is Jewish. Hebrew vocabulary was limited in expressing graduations of affection from love to hate. It had a word for love and it had a word for hate, but nothing really in between. Are you following me? Ancient Hebrew mode was you either loved somebody or you hated them. <laughs> now in the Greek, they have another expression where you either love somebody or you love them less. <laughs> that was Greek, though. That was not Aramaic. So I'm trying to present it to you as clearly as possible. There was no real middle ground. And my friends, this, I got to thinking about that this possibly provide some insight into um, the continued lack of peace in the Middle East. Because the Jews and the Arabics and their language and the way they are, you either hate or you love. 
I'm not saying it's that simple, but what I'm saying, <laughs> is it just because there's no word for it? Well, it's a little more complicated. But you see what I'm getting at. Other instances of scriptures would support my premise. Deuteronomy 21, 15. Go and look that up. You will see where uh, this same dichotomy is happening. But there's one that's very important. It's found in Luke. It shows um, this dichotomy when Jesus speaks of a man uh, with two masters, saying he will hate one or love the other. No in between. The point there as here in the image of hating one's parent when it comes to the love we owe the Heavenly Father. Having explained all this to you, I can see on your faces that you still find the gospel harsh and unrealistic. So I'm going to tell you what my professor told us. He showed us another uh, gospel uh, that people adore, and it's saying the same thing. <laughs> as soon as you hear it, you're going to know it. Couples who are about to be married, they pick their readings for their nuptial mass. They almost always pick Genesis 2, 18 through 24. There it says, that is why a man leaves. Now, you have to understand, in the Greek, leave, that expression in this case means to turn your back on. So I'm going to do it that way. That is why the man turns his back on his father and mother and clings to his wife. And the two of them become one. The parents, the bride, the bridesmaids, the grooms, we love that reading. No one seems to be bothered that the couple henceforth called to love each other must do so even more than their own parents. See what I'm getting at? That being so, why then does today's gospel asking you to love God more than anything else trouble so many Christians? Why? Why? What is the problem? At the same time, there is no one in your lives that I suspect ever fear that your love for God will surpass their love for them. For if we love God above all things, we will truly love and honor our parents as the fourth commandment tells us to do. And the fourth commandment is the only one in the Decalogue that has a prize attached to it. Honor your mother and father that your days may be long. It's the only one that has a prize. It's the only one God put a prize next to. <laughs> he didn't say you would have happy days. He said you would have long days. <laughs> Just pointing out. If you love God above all things, you will never be unfaithful to your spouse. If you love God above all things, you will never neglect or abuse another human person. When God truly comes first in your lives, all the other relationships necessarily fall into place naturally 
and perfectly. Are you understanding what I'm telling you? Jesus also spoke about carrying the cross. Here's another where, where people have a play on words. When I refer to the cross, I will always mean Jesus Christ's cross. All the other times I will tell you trials. But I know the people use other words. I have my cross. My cross is that I have a sarcastic personality. <laughs> okay, then fix it. <laughs> you see, but I get it. So regarding carrying your cross, your cross will be unique and very personal. It will be a very unique and personal way of you showing your fidelity and your love to the Lord. The love we have for our Lord and the cross that each one of us, because he said each one will have one, that each one of us carry in a very, very profound way will take us from would-be followers or fans of Jesus Christ to actual disciples of him. And he has warned that that cross is going to be heavy and that you will have to carry it. He is saying there is no crown without it. Or crown, rather, the crown of heaven. My friends, in my years with you, I've been trying to get, uh, put it into context, to understand the culture and everything. The question about the gospel in this particular passage and about all of the Bible is not, uh, are you at peace with the way they spoke and the way it was arranged and the way the gospels? That is not the question if you're at peace with that. The question is, are you at peace with the God who sent his son, Jesus Christ, so that you would have eternal life? He came so that you would be at peace with his Father. That is the question, my brothers and sisters. Are you at peace with God? And if so, you will believe in his only begotten Son. You will pay the price in this world because of that. But your crown in heaven will be eternal life. That is the only way. For he is the way, the truth, and the life. 